0: You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey,
1: hey, how you feeling today?
0: I'm okay. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I, I sense um, there's a lot of tension in the air, <laughs> not just with you, but just with the world.
0: Yeah, you commented before on, on hypervigilance. And for me, it's an intensity that's this overarching feeling making all my other feelings exaggerating all of my other feelings whether it's good or bad
1: yeah we talk about hypervigilance in you know in these times where everything is changing where our freedom of movement is restricted where we're walking around with a little bit of fear or if not fear um simply the unknown, right? Walking down the street, you don't want to walk too close to people, either because you want to protect yourself and likely because you might make them uncomfortable as well. So just everything in life has uh, gone up in intensity and I I can feel it. So I just was thinking we could take a nice moment to take a couple of deep breaths and encourage people uh, listening to also do the same, just to take an inhale through your nostrils And then hold for a moment and exhale through your mouth. Are you doing it?
0: I was doing it when you first started talking about it. And then I started reflecting on how I might have physically assaulted a banana, putting it into the freezer. What happened? I shoved it in because I was so frustrated. So this breathing really helps.
1: Uh, So maybe a little bit more context there because you're feeling frustrated, um, all the little things get to you. So when I saw you earlier, like the freezer wasn't going to close, I saw you (laughs) just punching the frozen frozen fruit to get it looser (laughs) so it would fit.
0: Yeah, trying to shake it up a little bit. But that's just more reflective of uh, the overarching, like I said, frustration and intensity.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, that aside, at least we get a moment to sit and talk about some topics that are of interest to us because today we're going to be talking about pleasure mapping and self-care. And racial justice in healthcare. We're going to be talking about the pelvic floor and much more with Dr. UC from UC Logic. So, Dr. UC, uh, they host Bourbon Tales on Instagram, where she answers all sorts of questions ranging from what do I do if my clitoris isn't that sensitive to how do I decide if my relationship is still worth working on? And I'm really excited to learn from her. You know, that that's an interesting question when people ask, how do I decide if this is still worth investing in? What do, what do you think of that? When do you know when it's time to just move on, stop working on a relationship?
0: Wow. I, I don't know. I don't think I, I have the answers. Reflecting on my own relationships in the past, I felt like there was just this internal uh, compass telling me that, for one reason or another, it wasn't working out. Now, this was 20 plus years ago. So I think there's been some uh, some evolution, some internal evolution on my end. But I, th- I think you probably, I would need to start reflecting on my own behavior before I start thinking about whether or not a relationship is worth salvaging and think about my own responsibility in where that relationship was.
1: That's a really good point because oftentimes when we feel unfulfilled, we turn to outside sources, external factors as our automatic deficits when in fact, sometimes we're not feeling fulfilled and it has more to do with ourselves. And we, we look to the relationship and we say, oh, well, we're not feeling the passion or we're not feeling the comfort or we're not feeling the love. And sometimes, sometimes it is about the relationship, of course, and sometimes it's about ourselves. I always think... You know if you've given up on fighting if you just can't be bothered to engage in arguing anymore and i mean over a sustained period of time of course we all have days where we just or <laughs> weeks where we don't have the energy but uh certainly check out uh UC logic on instagram and we'll be chatting with her in just a moment before we welcome her i'd like to thank our october podcast partner cleo vana for their ongoing support now cleo vana is a non-invasive therapy that targets the clitoris to increase and enhance orgasm at the cellular level. So there's no penetration, no needles, no lasers, no downtime, and you can learn more at cleovana.com. So without further ado, let's get to the meat of this conversation and get chatting with our guest. Welcome, welcome, Dr. UC. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, You've got a, a wealth of titles. So you are a pelvic health <laughs> physical therapist. You're a sexuality educator. You are an ASECT certified sexuality counselor. You're an assistant professor at the University of Texas Dell Medical School. You're a program manager. You're on the faculty <laughs> at, at U of M. Uh, so tell me how you got into this field. Tell us about you, your story.
2: Wow. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I got here because of my my mother. I my, I'm first generation American. my parents are from Nigeria, Ooh. and I grew up, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and uh, born and raised. And I told my mom, I said, "Mom, you know I, I want to go to school out of state. I don't want to go to UT. No offense even though I'm, I'm now employed by UT. <laughs> I didn't want to go I, I didn't want to go to any of the state schools. It wasn't because they weren't great. I just wanted an experience that made me uncomfortable and, uh, and helped me grow. And I was, I think 14 at the time. And she said, well, we can't afford that. So you're going to have to, you know, get scholarships, internships. And so I got two internships. I got uh, my freshman year in high school. I got an internship to work with the Dallas Cowboys, working with their CFO, three days a week, and in the summer. And then I got an internship with a physical therapist that I thought was a sports PT. And she ended up being a pelvic PT. and. I had no idea what that was, <laughs> and I just remember looking at the patient list that morning, and I was like, "Oh, penis pain, you know, fecal incontinence, uh, <laughs> pain with intercourse." And I'm just like, "Okay, I guess I'll roll with it." And I fell in love, and I, I think ever since then, I this has just always been my passion to work with people who with pelvic floor disorders.
1: See, I might have gone the other way and worked in in, in football. <laughs> Are you? <laughs>
2: I know it was actually a really cool job, and I learned a ton. Um, it was it was really a great experience.
1: And are you a Cowboys fan?
2: I am. I I haven't. You know, I've been boycotting the NFL for a while, so um, I, I really don't even know who plays on what team anymore. Um, <laughs> but I but I am historically a Cowboys fan.
1: Okay, I think Brandon's on an NFL boycott as well. It's it's my <laughs> it,
0: it's a difficult boycott, but it's worth it's it's worth it. All that it nonsense is. going on. Yeah. I do it miss is. it though, because the athleticism there is just phenomenal. So I, I agree. I, I hear yeah. about it. I hear about it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I grew up in Texas, man. So football is like in my blood. And uh, But, you know, it was a worthy sacrifice. Agreed. So, yeah.
1: Well, you know, that brings us to some of the work you're doing around race and power, specifically in your field in healthcare. And you teach a course, and it's, it's coming up available again, The Intersection of Race and Power, Healthcare Redefined. Uh, I'd love to hear about this course, and also why it is so important to be talking about race and power dynamics in healthcare training, in healthcare delivery, and in healthcare administration in the United States.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, I thought about I thought about this, you know. I, I, I thought of, I've been teaching for years, for almost a decade. I've been lecturing. I've been speaking at conferences, and I kind of fell upon talking about diversity and equity and inclusion and transgender health and racism, not because I felt it was like this niche, niche, you know, area, but because I felt it was necessary. You can't talk about healthcare and not talk about racism mm-hmm. and not talk about all of the isms, to be frank, and. You know, when George Floyd happened, everyone started to, you know, try to showcase how woke they were right? mm. and, and things started to, people started to get called out in ways that, you know, in ways that I've been doing for years, but I have to do it in such a gentle way because I didn't have an audience that was really, really ready to hear it. Like they, they said they wanted to hear it. You know, you notice know, how someone's like, I don't think you're ready, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You know, <laughs> and, and that was me for years. So now people were open and ready. And, and I'm so used to lowering everyone into bathwater about their nonsense. And, and and for me, you know, if you look at my social media, I always talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I, I, what I saw, you know, around the world was people saying this, oh, do this, 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 and this. But in reality, when I go back to work, no one was talking about it. You know, I'm in a multidisciplinary setting with gynecologists, you know, all the specialists, and no one was talking about it at all. No one was changing how they were practicing at all. And so it
1: became this performative thing, right? Like people put a, yeah. a black square up or they posted Black Lives Matters, yeah. but the way it's getting yeah. integrated into, into practice in, I think, every field, but he- health in particular, yeah. the outcomes and the costs of racism are... yeah. Our, our life and death.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair, it wasn't being implemented because people just didn't know what to do. Okay. And they didn't know how, they didn't have the skills. They didn't have, they didn't feel safe. They, You know, and I also, you know, I'm the only black person practicing in my clinic with, I don't know, 15 providers. Mm-hmm. That right? put- and that's, you know, that's, that's just how life is for me, you know, and I'm used to that. But then, when something like this happens, and you know, I'm I'm functioning in my black skin as a citizen, but then also as a healthcare provider, it's very it's very um, it's very difficult. And so I, I I was sad for about 14 minutes, and then I said, okay, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to do something about this. And I'm I'm not Captain Save a Ho. I always tell people that that's not my job, but this is the skill that I have. I'm a very good educator. So let me just create this course and offer it to the world. And if people want to participate, great. If they don't, that's their choice.
1: That has to be, I mean, exhausting on you. First of all, thank you. And, you know, I want to send appreciation your way for doing this work because Yes, it's a labor of love, and yes, it's a part of your business, but it's also, you know, individually it has to be a drain on you to be the only black person in the setting, to always be speaking up, to feeling like you have to lower people into bathwater, as you put it. And so I'm, I'm curious on a kind of separate note, how do you how do you take care of yourself? How do you make sure that, like, you're taken care of while you're changing the system and tearing down oppressive structures and, and fighting a fight every day even when you didn't opt in? You
2: know... I'm not, I'm not great at that. I will be frank with you. I, um, it's a, it's something that I've been working on the past year, but in particular over the past six months, um, it's been, it's been a challenge. I will say that I do have a therapist that I talk to on a very regular basis. Um, I am trying to exercise more not necessarily to lose weight or anything, but just to kind of feel better and to manage my stress and anxiety. Um, and that's really that's really been my primary self care and i have to say my sister who is older than me and she's um, i have to brag on her for just for a, a little bit you know she's a um, mm-hmm. cornell grad brilliant attorney badass and um, my sister's always been the introvert in our family and I, my mom and i are just loud africans and um, <sighs> my sister's not but we've been we've we're always been close but this past 6 months has made us even closer um, because there are things that we we see, right? When they say black women, we see things that people don't. Like two years before they even know that know that it's a thing, mm-hmm. and that that is that in and of itself is stressful, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And so I think that sisterhood, um, you know, really getting closer with my black colleagues has really been helpful.
1: Well, you know what? When I asked that question, you said I'm not great at it, but then you listed three really important things. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, you know, what would you tell a client? What would you tell a client? Yeah. And it sounds like you're already, you know, talking about therapy, exercise, and looking for that sisterhood or the the common support. So, to go back to this course for people who are interested, I'm in, I'm certainly interested. So, the intersection of race and power, healthcare redefined. Yes. Uh, is it open to like doctors, nurses, healthcare practitioners, sexologists? Yes. Administrators, who is it for? Everyone,
2: everyone. I I said geared toward healthcare because I wanted to kind of talk about health and why uh, we're seeing such uh, discrepancies in the health of uh, people of color and Black people. And, and, but it's really for anyone, even though it's geared to talk about, you know, um, chronic illness and stressors that really impact um, our ability to thrive as humans. And um, but it's it's for everyone. I start from a very much a historical base because a lot of us, when we talk about race, we don't understand the history of race from the beginning. And I spend half the class going over history and how that informs how we define professionalism, mm-hmm. beauty, and health standards. And so that's a really important piece that I think a lot of um, a lot of anti racist training tend to miss.
1: That sounds so important, especially in this space that we call wellness, which is so whitewashed and often focused on specific outcomes for only specific people. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to taking this course. I think it'd be something something really interesting for, for all of us and encourage people to check it out. And do you offer CE credits for professionals?
2: I do. I'm currently, I only have CE credits for physical therapists, but I'm in the process of the applications for social work and I'm working on nursing. So hopefully by the end of the month, we'll, we'll get all of that stuff. Um, here towards. So step by step, we're getting those CE
1: credits. Awesome. And I hope the so, folks at ASECT, if anyone from ASECT is listening, as I know some people do, <laughs> um, please, please help out with this. Facilitate this process, because ASECT is always talking about how they want to do better. And, um, you know, it's definitely time to put their money and their actions where their mouths are and maybe help, help out figure out how we can get Asex credits for this as well. So, yeah. So I found you. I don't know how I found you. It may have been through Adam Maurer from Moon Tower Counseling. Are you buddies? Oh, I love him. I, he is a gem. I know. I love him so much. He's just although we, we just go off together, he makes fun of me for my sports. I make fun of him for life. Uh, so I I think I I think I may have found you through him. I'm a huge fan of your Instagram. You Oh, thank you. You deliver Um, really powerful stuff and dissect these complicated issues in this really digestible format, right? So not everybody wants to pick up an academic journal, not everyone even really wants to pick up a book. But you have a show every Sunday night on IGTV called Bourbon Tales. And you talk about so many different things. And I wanted to chat with you today um, about some of those as well. So recently, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here, you had, uh, someone write in about a hypersensitive cl- clitoris. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm Canadian, so it's actually hypersensitive clitoris, but. <laughs> ah, I love it.
2: I love it. T- teach me, teach
1: me. <laughs> actually, we can't agree. Like it's not actually a Canadian thing. Anything I say wrong, I either blame on my mother or uh, my Canadian side. <laughs> I love so, it. so you talk about pleasure. I talk about pleasure. We share techniques. We share to- well. We don't share toys, but we talk about
2: toys. Right? <laughs> I was like I'm a little selfish when it comes to that. Yeah. but
1: Everything else I share. <laughs> and so many of these techniques focus on the clitoris. The cl- like now I right. can't even say it. The clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> um. And the clitoris is more than just the little pea-sized bump at the top, but for someone who does have have a really sensitive external or head of the clitoris, how can we still derive pleasure from from touching, from licking, from sucking, from vibing, from fingering, from all that jazz?
2: Absolutely. So what I always say is, because I I get this question a lot in the clinic, Hmm. and I always tell people first to kind of, I say this all the time, but pleasure mapping is really important. And even if it's pleasure mapping on the genitals, that's really going to help because people always say, I don't like this touch. And I'm like, okay, great. We definitely know that that's a red light right there, but what else is green? What's yellow, right? Let's, Let's focus on those areas and incorporate that into this clitoral activation. And like I said, I always am a fan of using like the vulva and the clitoral hood to kind of protect the head of the clitoris that usually is hypersensitive right? Because that's going to be really important. Sometimes I always tell people to like to kind of cup your hand over that pubic symphysis. Yes. Because there are a lot of nerves that come over there and sometimes kind of guarding the bone, right? Especially with vibration, right? Because a lot of people say, oh, vibration helps. I'm like, don't put it on that bone because it's going to radiate all the way down and cause a lot of irritation. So maybe get a towel, use your hand and put the vibration through that. And so it's a dull vibration. So it's a lot less direct and then you feel it throughout the whole vulva, vagina, vestibule. And that's a better way to kind of bring in sensation if you still want to incorporate that. So okay. there's lots of ways one can be creative about it.
1: I love that. And you started with so many things. Can we can we go back to what pleasure mapping yeah. would look like?
0: I was just thinking yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Brandon's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like,
1: I'm going well, to map my pleasure.
0: I will, but but I, I think... Right? <laughs> But I think a lot well, of this comes down to conversations that we don't have. So you mentioned pleasure yeah. mapping, and that's what I wanted to go back to because I think if, you know, if we were to take thirty minutes, sixty minutes, five minutes, whatever that is, and explore and figure out what you do, what you don't like. I mean, I'm curious as to what it is, but I feel like immediately things are going to get better mm-hmm. in bed.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So pleasure mapping. Let's so let's take it into this clitoral sensitivity, right? So let's focus just on the vulva. And so what you can say is that you can. this can be a solo activity or partnered activity. And I always tell people to just start with your lower abdomen and always bring different textures. So you want something soft, something warm or cold, you know, maybe something, you know, scratchy or whatever, whatever texture you, you're inclined to. And you kind of massage, you know, that your lower abdomen down to the vulva, the outside, the kind of the lateral edges where the groin is and in. You can do circular motions, you can do up and down, you can do skin rolling and just see what feels good, right? Do you want deeper pleasure? Do you want, excuse me, deeper pressure? Do you want lighter pressure, right? You might say, oh, you know what? I really don't like it when I get touched down lower by my butt cheek, right, right? That crevice there, I don't like that, but I really do like it where my inner thighs are engaged. You know, but you know what? I don't like it when they spread my vulva apart and expose my vestibule. You know, I want that to be covered while we do this. Those are really like, a lot of times people don't realize that some of these little movements that we do during sex can really trigger us in some ways. But if we don't know what our pleasure is, then we're saying, I don't like sex. I don't, I'm not a sex person. It doesn't feel good. it's like, that, is it that? Or is it that you just don't quite know, you know, what is a green light? What's a red light? And what's a yellow light?
1: I like that. And I like the idea of some sort of a ranking system because like you might be able to say, oh, I don't like when you spread my inner labia and expose my vestibule. (laughs) But a lot of Mm -hmm. people are just going to say like, oh, that feels good. That isn't good. Or that's neutral or that's red. That's yellow. That's green. Um, I, I really love the idea of this activity, and I, I there's a couple of things that you everything you're saying is resonating with me because, you know, you mentioned that people will if they don't like something they'll say I don't like sex, but sex is so many different things. It's not one specific yes. act, and this is actually why I'm so happy you're doing the work you're doing uh, not only about around race and power, about redefining healthcare. Because I'll tell you, the first time I went to a pelvic floor therapist and they're poking around down there, um, you know, there were parts that were uncomfortable. And the pelvic floor therapist said, oh, that's uncomfortable or oh, that hurts. And I said, yeah. And they're like, well, doesn't sex hurt then? And I said, no. But the thing is, she wasn't asking me what my sex looked like. She made assumptions that sex was just this penetrative thing for me, when in fact, at the time, that's not the type of sex I was particularly having um and so but she kept saying sex and i kept saying no and i probably could have corrected her or like explained to her my situation but of course not everybody has the language or the tools or even feels they have the the confidence or the right to speak up to a healthcare practitioner um and so that that really really resonates with me Uh, and also i love the idea of just any any system like this or any exercise like this, pleasure mapping, like you do it over and over again. Because what I'm thinking is that what feels good for me on, say, day four of my cycle doesn't feel exactly. good. Yeah, on day 14. And exactly. I love oh, like so many things. The other thing I'm going to say, and this is just me speaking personally, not as a sexologist, um, is when you we, you talk about putting a sheet or a blanket or a towel or something in between. Brandon will tell you. That's she what I She means
0: I over my mouth. <laughs> that's yeah. what she means. She <laughs> yeah. does, yeah. does. It's like just, you know, gagging. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I put it right over your just, face. Just stop
0: talking. Right? Yeah, that's what she said. I love
1: no, but I like that a lot. I like it through a yeah. sheet or through the underwear or something like that. I don't I don't like yes. to share too much about my pleasure. I'm still kind of, you know, more private about that stuff. But that, yeah. I, it's very kind of reassuring. And I think to so many people, when, when you're saying to me that so many people are coming to you talking about a hypersensitive clitoris, that's really interesting because it's not something that... I think sexologists talk about a lot. We often talk about how important the clitoris is and how you know Absolutely. its function is pleasure. But the head itself, like for me, definitely the head isn't something I want poked and prodded. I always joke that it's not a it's not an elevator button or a doorbell. Uh,
2: right, right. <laughs> this isn't a DJ set, right? You right. don't need to be spinning that record.
1: Exactly.
2: Um, <laughs> right. I think um, you make such a great point because we always talk about the clitoris, like. Clitoris is pleasure. And it's like, for a lot of my patients, it's not. And actually, you know, they're not going to lead with that always. So when you talk about the interview, that sexual interview for the first time, I ask, I don't go straight to penetration. I say, um, do you have any, are you able to achieve orgasm? And and they say, yes, no, maybe. And I'm like, well, what does that feel like to you? How how do you access that? Um, Do you have pain with arousal? And people say, yes, when my partner touches me. And I said, no, no, no. Arousal, like if you're just thinking about sex and when you start to feel blood flow down there, when you get aroused, when you go down, take a trip down memory lane,
0: (laughs) you know, and they're like,
2: oh, that's arousal. And so in my interview, it helps me to gauge how much understanding they have just on sexuality, period. and. And oftentimes when people describe something to you or tell you something, you actually have to get them to describe it. Like like you said, that physical therapist assumed that you were engaging in penetrative sex. And I just never assume that anymore. Right, of I course. I just don't. Of course. I just don't. You know?
1: And, and do, I mean, if we go to like physicians, like MDs, it's, the assumptions tend to be even, I think, more voluminous and more... More rigid, and yeah, I, I'm so glad that we're having these, or we're seeing these conversations in healthcare, um, and folks like you are having them. And I, you know, I definitely know some great OBGYNs who are also talking about the range of yeah. sexual experiences. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I, and I don't know if this is your experience, but when I hop on calls with physicians or when I'm doing a training with a physician with physicians, it mm-hmm. it's pr- it's oftentimes even wherever I take it, they kind of bring it back to a heteronormative experience of a yeah. penis going into a vagina. Yep. Yeah. And
2: so, yeah. so how yeah. do we what do we do? <laughs> how do we how do we yeah. stop this? So, so I have to say that I'm actually in a fair I'm in a unicorn situation. And <laughs> so I, I I am in a multidisciplinary clinic. So I work alongside in the same clinical space as the Gyns, surgeons, all of that. And we have all committed to taking care of people with vaginas. It's it's called the Women's Health Institute. Um, but we have non-binary patients, we have trans patients. So we, we really focus, not necessarily on the binary, but more so, what are you coming in to see me? Are you having pain in the genitals? Can you show that, show me? What, what would you like for me to call it? You know, like, you know, we're gonna say clitoris, but is there another name you would like? You know, so we're, we're very, we've worked really hard um, as providers to, to, to make it an inclusive environment. So it's not just about the straight white women coming in to get care and they need care too, but it's also understanding those intersections that, that inform our bodies, because when you're thinking about how one, a person approaches sex, like let's, for example, when we look at black women, right? Everyone says black women are less likely to have pelvic floor disorders. I think that's categorically untrue. I personally believe that black women have a lot of nonsense that we deal with on the daily and a pelvic floor disorder like urinary incontinence or pain with sex is lower on the totem pole where we're dealing with systemic oppression and racism. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Absolutely. So we may not report it. It may not be, a we may have it, but it's not distressing. Therefore, it's not a big deal. Because you have other distresses that you have to deal with literally to survive. Yes. Yes. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge um, gap in research um, right now that we're seeing, and so I'm. I'm working on a study right now where I'm actually going to assess. Hey, how is we're going to look at systemic oppression on the daily for you, but then we're also going to have you fill out this outcome survey that explains your pelvic floor uh, dysfunction. <laughs> you know, we want to see if there's a correlation because I think that that's the new measure, right? Right that's the new measure. It's not the race. It's the racism that makes people sicker.
1: Absolutely. And it's often been reported as, you know, Black women or Chinese women or South Asian women are more likely or are more, have a greater proclivity toward a specific outcome when in fact it's not necessarily our genetics, but our experience. And and I'm so curious about pelvic floor dysfunction and stress. Uh, Is that something, I mean, I'm sure you have both data and anecdote, but, um, you know, I do notice, for example, that I I feel more pain in that region when I'm stressed out, when I'm not sleeping well. Yes. Um, Yes. How, what do you do about that?
2: Absolutely. The thing about it is, so once you have that chronic pain cycle, right, your body, your body is now wired and your nervous system is now wired to maintain that train because it's saying, oh, this is normal. And so when you're when you're having increased stress, right? When you're having poor sleep, your your immune system is suppressed more, right? Your pain sensitivity is elevated, and <laughs> it's like the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and 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 so I always tell people that it's not a matter of getting rid of that. It's about because you already you already have a very good understanding of your body, and you're like you know what? When I'm stressed out, when I don't get enough sleep, my pain is more is more elevated. Mm. So then it's the interventions that you have or your little toolbox. Those need to be implemented during that time more so more than ever versus during times where you are kind of, where your nervous system is a little bit, a little bit more chilled out, (laughs) you know, when, when things are a little bit better, but when, when you're under that stressful moment, you kind of have to implement the big guns and be consistent with it. Right. Like for example, for me during this time, during racial unrest, you know, I have to be very, very good about self-care that I'm normally not so great at.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and I I think that for a lot of people with chronic pelvic pain, it's it's a chronic condition, right? That's going to last for a long time. And I always tell my patients, my goal is to kind of have to space the time between your flares. I want those time those time frames to be spaced out more and more and more over the years. So if it, if a person's coming into me and they have a flare four or five times a week, my goal by working after working with them for, with, for three, four or five months is to say, you know what, like we can do a month, two months without a flare. And then over time, three months, but then understanding, you know what, I have this big work project coming up. I'm not going to be sleeping as well. My pain's going to be a little bit more elevated. So i I might need to use my lidocaine cream or my vaginal back with it you know, or I might need to be doing my vaginal stretches or I need to be implementing my yoga poses, like whatever works. What's a vaginal stretch? Yeah. So we can use dilators or what I like to use a serenity one. You can get that from current medical technologies. It kind of looks like a snake. Um, and it's like, it's like a, almost like it looks like glass, a clear acrylic, um, tool that you can do to help massage any pelvic floor tone. So you insert into the vagina, and you can map. So this is where I have my patients pain map. And they say, if you think of the vagina as a clock, 12 is a clitoris, six is the external anal sphincter. And then you have three is the left side, nine is the right side. And I tell my patients, okay, like you have a lot of pain up by 10 o'clock, but deep. And they're like, yes, right there. And I'm like, okay, so that spot right there, you feel that tightness. You're like, yes, I'm, like, I'm going to have you massage that out, hmm. right? You're going to use that tool to massage that out. And then also you don't like it over by four, between four and six over there. And they're like, yes, you know, and so they and I said, so I teach them, you know, how to do this for themselves. So then they say, okay, you know what you see? I'm doing this three times a week. It feels a lot better. I don't feel like I have a bowling ball in my vagina, oh, you know, anymore, you know, and, and that, cause sometimes when you have a spasm, it feels like there's a ball in there. Whew. You know, and so it's, that's, you know, so that's vaginal stretching. Do you have to do it forever and ever? No, but it's a great tool to pull out if you need it.
1: And the tool that you referred to is called the Serenity
2: Wand? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh. You can get it at Current Medical Technologies or cmt.com. Okay, uh, perfect. And I think they have it on Amazon as well. Okay, cool.
1: We'll link to that in the show notes if people are looking for I love the name Serenity Wand. Serenity Now! I know, right? Serenity, Serenity now. now in my
2: vagina. Right? As you're like kind of poking in there, you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: So interesting. Now, I have all these different questions from your Bourbon Tales. So we started with the hypersensitive clitoris. um, I've also talked about, you know, pain in the region. Uh, I'm curious also about your pelvic floor functioning post-hysterectomy because I saw a question on Bourbon Tales about that. Mm -hmm. How does pelvic Mm -hmm. floor function tend to change post-hysterectomy? I know that, of course, folks, if they have access to a pelvic floor physiotherapist or therapist, they they ought to go, but not everybody has access. So um, for folks who are... Perhaps um, planning a hysterectomy or have had a hysterectomy. What do they need to consider or bear in mind?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So here's what I will say. Some people, like a lot of people, let me not say some. A lot of people do very well after their hysterectomy. The people that tend to struggle are the ones who have pre-existing pelvic floor issues. So they have a history of pain with sex. They have history of um, endometriosis uh, fecal incontinence, constipation is a big one, you know, (laughs) urinary incontinence, those people who haven't addressed those issues and they have a hysterectomy tend to have an exacerbation of those symptoms post hysterectomy. And so I always say that if you're planning to have a hysterectomy and you, and you know, you have one of those issues consulting with the pelvic PT, and and you may not, you may not have time to go through a whole um, battery of treatment that maybe even one or two sessions can get you going in the right space so then after your surgery you continue with them and then you start to address those issues so that it doesn't impede your sexual function your body image you know because that can be really disappointing right you you go through this major surgery and then you're saying okay why am I having pain right What? Well, you know why what is going on you know
1: and And you brought up endometriosis. How often do you see that in your clinic?
2: Oh gosh, uh, a lot. Uh, I think about twenty percent, twenty five percent of my patients have some form have some stage of endo.
1: and how do you how do you diagnose?
2: So that is done through surgery. So that is done through um, you know, with a minimally invasive gynecological surgeon specialist um that's going to look, do an exploratory surgery to say, yep, yep, you have, (laughs) you have um, endometriosis. We can see that because, you know, you can have ultrasound, you can have, um, you know, uh, MRIs, things like that, but it's not going to be able to definitively say, yes, you have endometrial implants, you know, in your bowels and your spine, you know, all in your abdominal cavity. So that's, that's definitively diagnosed through surgery.
1: Endo is one of these conditions that is often ignored or downplayed folks are told that you know it's in their heads um, how do pelvic floor therapists treat endometriosis
2: so that's a great question because pelvic floor pts cannot treat endometriosis ah. pelvic floor pts can treat pelvic floor dysfunction that is caused by endometriosis okay and and so that that is a very huge distinction and I really work hard to make sure my patients understand that Mm -hmm. because the endometriosis um, can be managed, uh, can also be managed with hormonal birth control, lots of, lots of, lots of approaches. We can do um, Botox in the vagina. We can do pudendal blocks, but the physical therapist can help with restoring pelvic floor muscle function and tone. So a lot of times people with endometriosis have really, really high pelvic floor muscle tone, or they have dysfunctional nerve function. So that it feels like every time their vulva is being touched, you know, it's like they're on fire, you know, or they have difficulty with their bowels, you know, constipation can be a big one, depending on how severe that endometriosis is. So the physical therapist can address those functional, those, those functional issues and deficits, but they can't get rid of the endometriosis.
1: Okay, I see. And so some of the, for example, like pain during sex or burning during sex, pelvic floor therapy might be able to address some of those?
2: Yes, they can address the pain and burning during sex, but not necessarily the cause of that, the the endometriosis. Definitively, what's going to get rid of that endometriosis is going to be surgery, you know, surgery and hormonal management.
1: Are some people able to address the symptoms um, to the point that they don't need
2: surgery? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I have, I, especially when, when we, I think it's the responsibility of the healthcare providers to educate patients with endometriosis, to have them understand what it means to have a chronic condition and how you're in looking at it from a biopsychosocial model and knowing that you're going to have pain, right? During this rehab process. And we have to get into a point of pain acceptance. Not, not, not that you're resigning to the pain, but accepting that pain is gonna be part of the process. Because sometimes you ha- you might have two good weeks and then if you have a couple bad days, it's devastating. And it's almost like you have to start all over. And I said, no, 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 it's, this is not gonna be a perfectly linear process. We're gonna kind of ha- we're gonna take five steps forward and three steps back and six steps forward and two steps back. And it's going to be that way for a little bit until we understand your body we understand your cycle, and we can manage it. For endometriosis patients, they need a multidisciplinary approach. They need a yoga specialist. They need a pelvic PT. They need a surgeon. They need um, a therapist, right? They need a body worker. So they need a team, right? There, there's not one person that can address all of their their needs. It's a team approach.
1: I see. Okay, and you and you work from a very multidisciplinary perspective also like when i see your instagram what i see is an approach that really looks at communication and nurturing relationships with self and with partner so if you were to leave folks with you know one insight that might help them to revolutionize the way they feel about their body or the way they feel about themselves or their sex lives or their relationships um what do you wish people would understand oh gosh
2: you know, I wish people would understand that they are not broken. Mm. I wish people would understand that they are not broken and that this is going to be an amazing journey and opportunity to understand your body and what your body responds to positively, negatively, and in a neutral way. And that understanding needs requires grace, <laughs> to give yourself <laughs> some grace, mm-hmm. but then to also also understand that you do need to be a little bit more uh, tenacious, right? As my mom likes to say, when it comes to your health care and, and finding, even if it's one person that you're like, this person listens to me, this person it helps to advocate for me, stick with that person and build around them, you know, I love go that. with your gut on this one.
1: I love that and we have to advocate for ourselves and of course that's easier for some than others but I really appreciate your framing um, of this being a journey because most people arrive to see you because there's a problem and you're reframing yeah. it as this huge opportunity to enrich your your physical well-being, your mental well-being, your emotional well-being, your sexual, relational, all of those things. So before I let you go, you know, you, ho- you host Bourbon Tales. What is, what's your top yeah. bourbon right now?
2: Oh gosh, you know what? Um, we'll it? With- Willet bourbon is my jam right now. I'm a big Buffalo Trace girl, but I'm having a hard time getting it in Austin. Uh, but I, lo- I love me some Willet.
1: All right. I don't know anything about bourbon. Brandon, do you know about bourbons?
0: <laughs> I haven't really delved into the bourbon. Side yet, working through scotches and gins and tequilas, but uh, no bourbons yet.
1: Okay, so you, well, you you got lots to learn. I've got about lots to learn. flora, but also bourbon.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: well, I have
2: to say, I have to recommend a gin for you if you're a gin person. There's a, a Waterloo antique gin. So Waterloo is a distillery distillery in Texas, and they have this antique gin where they uh, age it in in bourbon barrels. So mm-hmm. it, it looks brown, but it mm. is delicious. It's gin. But
0: it's delicious. Amazing. I'll get, oh, I will definitely try to get that here in Ontario, which is not easy.
1: Oh, Lord,
2: yes.
1: We have one legal importer for the province. It's our liquor control board of Ontario. I lost a bottle of tequila the other day that I guess got destroyed at the border because I wasn't able to claim it. Oh, it's, it's, oh. It's, it's a big thing here, but it's a very, very first world problem. <laughs> we got other, oh. other stuff to worry about other than how we Absolutely. get our liquor. But I love, I love all the knowledge you're sharing from, obviously, bourbon to relationships to sex to pelvic floor health. I'm such a fan. I hope people follow along. UCLogic and uclogic.com will put it all in the show notes. Really appreciate your time, Dr. UC. That's a wrap for today. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining in on the conversation, babe.
0: Yeah, absolutely enjoyed every part of it. And actually really enjoy uh, Dr. UC's Bourbon Tales. I've been watching them and find them helpful and very short and concise. Really, really enjoy them.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's a real skill to be able to answer a question in... A minute or two. I don't have that skill, <laughs> but certainly admire it. So thank you to you for joining us. Uh, once again, thank you to Cleavana for their ongoing support. Be sure to check out Cleavana.com for the non-invasive therapy that is all about more sexual pleasure and response starting at the cellular level. Folks, wherever you're at, have a lovely week. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.